0: Matthew chapter 1, if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way if you will. If you think back to last Sunday morning, then you may remember that I told you during the Sunday morning services of the month of December, that I, or at least leading up to Christmas, I was going to be preaching a series of sermons on the Christmas story. But I'm doing it a little different this year. I'm actually preaching on this thought right here, a Netflix Christmas. So what I've done is this. I have... Uh, I'm using the titles of my favorite Christmas movies to, uh, to preach the Christmas story. Now, again, I'm going to say right up front, like I said last Sunday morning, I'm not endorsing any of these movies. There are things in all of these movies that could be changed for the better. So don't go home and say, Brother Tim said watch this one right here because I'm telling you, there's garbage in all of them. However, what I'm more interested in is using the title of these Christmas movies. Now last week, if you were here, you may remember that I preached on The Grinch That Almost Stole Christmas. And I told you last Sunday morning that long before uh, Dr. Grinch's or Dr. Seuss's fictitious tale about a Grinch that hated Christmas and tried his best to keep Christmas from coming, there was another Grinch In fact, he was a king, his name was Herod, and he did his best to keep Christmas from coming. And yet, thank God, God overruled all of that, his divine power and providence, and Jesus was born. The Grinch that almost stole Christmas. Well, this morning I'm preaching on, here's another one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time, so this morning I'm preaching on this one here. You don't have to be home alone this Christmas. Now, if you've ever seen the Christmas movie, Home Alone, then you may remember it is the story of a young man named Kevin who wishes that his family would just disappear. There's some disagreements. He doesn't feel like he's getting treated exactly right. So he would wish, he wishes for his entire family to disappear. And guess what? His family left to take a Christmas vacation over in the country, over in Paris, France. And unbeknowing to them, they left him behind at home. So in the three days that follows, as they're working their way trying to get back home to him, he is left home alone. He defends his house against two of the dumbest burglars who have ever lived that are robbing various houses in the neighborhood. He sets traps. He thwarts their, uh, these would-be burglars and keeps them from robbing his home. During that three days, however, that he thinks that he's made his family disappear, he, at least initially, he loves his time alone. He's eating potato chips, ice cream, and watching garbage on TV. However, as the days drag on, he realizes how much he loves his family. And as the movie concludes, uh, the burglars are nabbed. They're put in a police car and are taken off. And on Christmas morning, as he rises from his sleep, guess what? His family all makes it back home for Christmas. You don't have to be home alone for this Christmas. Uh, I've watched that probably for the 447th time since Thanksgiving of this year. It's probably been on at least, no doubt, that number of times. In fact, last night, my wife and I sat down and we watched Home Alone. It was on again last night. We watched it again. You know there are five fascinating facts about Home Alone. See if you knew these things about that movie. First of all, Kevin McAllister, who played uh, Kevin in the movie, uh, uh, was not the only his name true name was uh, Macaulay Calkin, but he was not the only Calkin that was in the movie. You remember Fuller that he was afraid was going to wet the bed. Remember that? That's his little brother in real life. Here's fascinating fact number two. Listen to this. The country of Poland, their number one all-time favorite movie is Home Alone. Over in the country of Poland, every year it airs around Christmas time, and it is the number one most-watched show the entire year in the country of Poland. The Polacks love Home Alone. Joe Pesci who was the burglar, one of the burglars. His name was Harry, the shorter of the two. You may remember toward the end of the movie that he picked Kevin up and hung him up on a hook on a door and said, I'm going to bite off every one of your fingers. Remember that part of the movie? Guess what? In, in, in one of the takes of the movie, he actually bit Kevin's finger so hard that he drew blood and he thought they thought they were going to have to get stitches in his finger. He bit the finger so hard. Fascinating fact. Number four. It was a real tarantula that they put on the burglar's face. It was not fake. Kevin actually picked up a real tarantula and put it on his face. Now, here's the thing that was, uh, here's the thing that was fake about all that. The scream was fake. It was actually dubbed in a little bit later. He just made the facial expression because they were afraid he would scare the tarantula and the tarantula would bite him. So they had to dub in the scream a little bit later. And listen to this, fascinating fact number five, Elvis is in the house. We watched the whole movie last night because I told my wife, I said, guess what, Elvis is in Home Alone. She says, no, he's not. I said, I'll show you. So we watched the entire movie last night, and if you'll notice when, she, when his mother finally gets back to an airport, maybe in Houston, Texas, wherever she finally got back, where she actually hitches a ride with that polka band trying to get back to Kevin, Elvis is standing behind her in line at the ticket counter. Fascinating fact. Elvis has not left the house. He is in the house. And I want to throw this one in. You remember when he went to the grocery store and he got uh, the fabric softener, uh, the orange juice, some eggs, and some things like that. And the lady looked at him and said, It's nine dollars, uh, $19.83. If you were to buy today those same items, it would be $72.63 as compared to when he bought them back in that day. Fascinating fact. Home Alone. How many of y'all are with me? How many of y'all have seen the movie before? Unless, listen, unless you haven't been around a while, you've seen Home Alone. I got to thinking about that title. You don't have to be home alone, being alone. Did you know every year beginning with Thanksgiving to shortly after uh, the holiday of New Year's that the suicide rate in our country, in our nation, rises dramatically? That's right. More people attempt and more people succeed in taking their life in that 40-day window between Thanksgiving And shortly after New Year's, more so than any other time of the year. And the reason that most people commit suicide is because of the feelings of loneliness, of being alone. I wonder this morning who sits right here in this room today, and though you're sitting in the midst of hundreds of people, this morning you're probably thinking to yourself, I am all alone In this world, I'm going to read you a verse this morning. It seems like a crazy verse, but I'm going to explain it. Look up here on the screens for just a moment. This is the psalmist. He's writing in Psalms 102 and verse number 6, and he's expressing how he feels. And here's what he says how he feels at this time. He said, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. Now, you and I know that pelicans don't live in wildernesses. Pelicans live at the coast. Pelicans live around water, and yet the psalmist said, I am like a pelican in the wilderness. In other words, what he said, I feel so out of place. I feel so alone. I feel like I'm forsaken. And I wonder who sits right here this morning, and you would probably say uh, 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 an amen to it if I said, you know something, how many people in this room today feel like a pelican in the wilderness? You feel out of place. You feel all alone. You feel like no one cares. Maybe you're sitting here today and this Christmas you will be home alone. Maybe you feel this morning sitting here in this room, you feel very alone. Maybe you feel like the man, he saw an ad in the paper for a Lonely Hearts Club and he decided he was going to respond to it. And one of the things when you responded to this Lonely Hearts Club, you had to send in a picture of yourself. So he filled out the form, mailed in the picture. Several days later, it arrived back in his mailbox and on the back of the picture it said, we're not that lonely. Maybe you feel like the man who went to see his psychiatrist and he said, Doc, I want you to give me a split personality. And the doctor said, Why do you wish to have such a condition? He said, So I'll have somebody to talk to. Is that you this Christmas? Do you feel all alone? You know our world today is full of very lonely people. The truth of the matter is so many people have messed up their lives because of their sin that their spouses are now estranged from them. They can't be around their spouse during Christmas. Their children are estranged from them. Their extended family is at a distance from them. And many people, because they cannot cope with the feelings of their loneliness, their way out of that pain. The answer to them is suicide. Oh, Rudyard Kipling once said this The human soul is essentially a very lonely thing. We are born alone, we die alone, and in the depths of our hearts, we live all alone. But, well, ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you this morning, I disagree with what Kipling said. And the reason that I disagree with that is because of Christmas. You see, the reason that Jesus was born on that first Christmas many years ago is because God didn't want me and you to be home alone or anywhere else alone. In fact, we read right here in our text this morning these words. Look at verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth A son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. The Bible tells us that one of the names that was given to the Lord Jesus the night that He was born, and by the way, He has uh, He has so many names. Can I have an amen? So many names in the Bible because not one name aptly defines or describes who Jesus really is. But the night that he was born, the angel said, call his name Emmanuel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're like me, had not the Bible interpreted that for us, I've been a little bit clueless as to what that meant. But we're told there in verse number 23 that the name Emmanuel simply means this, God with Us. Jesus came into this world, He lived, and then He died on the cross so that you and I would never, ever have to be home alone. You don't have to be by yourself. You don't have to be anywhere by yourself. You know why? Because of that baby that was born in Bethlehem, God is now with us. Can I have an amen? You don't have to be home alone. Now look at verse 23, and notice if you will in verse 23, notice those three words. The name Emmanuel means God with us. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take that three-word statement, God with us, and I want to break that apart this morning, and I want to examine each one of those three words for the three points to the message this morning. God with us. Us. Now first of all, look in verse twenty-three, notice the name or the person God. Now that the God God in verse twenty-three speaks to us of his divinity. I see in that word his divinity. Now what I mean by that is simply this. That little baby laying in that manger that first Christmas night was not your average little baby. You see I'm sure that night around Bethlehem and around that surrounding area around Judea I'm sure there were a number of babies that were born that particular night the same night that the Son of God was born into this world. But none of those other babies can claim or even equal that of the babe of Bethlehem. You see the one thing that distinguished the baby born in our text in Matthew chapter number 1 that night was the fact that he was God. Now I don't want to get hung up right here but can I say this right here? Look at verse 23. Here's just another evidence that Jesus is God. You see in our day there is an effort on, a push on to humanize the Lord Jesus. By that I mean a lot of people will agree with you and they'll say something like this, Jesus was a good man. He was a great philosopher. He was a religious teacher. He was a good man, a a humanitarian, a prophet, a devout leader. He was a revolutionary. They'll agree with you when you say all of that, but they'll stop short when you say that Jesus was and is God. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that baby born in that manger on that first Christmas night, ladies and gentlemen, he was God. You see, the birth of Jesus the babe in that manger God was doing something that he had never ever done before. Now you and I know that God dwelling here on the earth with his people was nothing new. For years in the Old Testament God had dwelt among his people in a place called the tabernacle. It was a building and the fire uh, by night and the cloud by day proved that God was among his people. Oh but buddy the night that Jesus was born into this God was no longer dwelling in the midst of his people in a building. God was now dwelling in the midst of his people in a body. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifested in the flesh. Let me tell you who Jesus was. Ladies and gentlemen, he was God with skin on. Let me tell you who Jesus was. He was God in a bod. Laying there in that manger. Ladies and gentlemen, that night was and is none other than God Almighty Himself. Oh, yeah. In that word God, we see divinity. You may remember later on in the life of our Lord, you know, after Jesus was born and reached the age of two years old, we don't see anything else about Jesus till He's 30 years old, with one exception. When He was 12 years old in Luke chapter number 2, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit pulls the curtain back and allows us to see Jesus who has now left that that infant stage, that toddler stage, and he's now grown into a 12-year-old boy. It's the Passover time, and his mom and daddy have taken him up to the city of Jerusalem uh, there to observe the Passover. And then the Bible said after they do that, that they leave. Mary and Joseph leave unbeknownst to them. They have left Jesus behind. And they go a day's journey away from him and finally discover I almost could say it like this that they left Jesus home alone. They left him back in the city of Jerusalem. The Bible said this frantic search then ensues and they try to find Jesus. And a lot like the story of Kevin, three days later, they find him. He's sitting in the temple among the the educated scribes and rulers of that day and he's hearing them and answering their questions. Can you not just imagine some of the answers that Jesus gave to the questions of the religious? religious rulers and the scribes of that day. Maybe one of those men looked at that little 12-year-old boy and said, whose son did you say that you are? And he says something like this, on my mother's side I am the son of Mary, but on my father's side I'm the son of God. Somebody else spoke up and says, boy, where'd you say you was born? He says, on my mother's side I was born in Bethlehem, but on my father's side I am before all things. Maybe another one of those rulers Looks at him and says, Hey boy, what's your name? And he says, On my mother's side, my name is Jesus. But on my father's side, my name is Emmanuel. Maybe one or the other one looks at him and says, All right, boy, how old are you? He said, On my mama's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my father's side, I'm the Ancient of Days. Before anything was, I existed. Where are you from, boy? On my mama's side, I'm from Nazareth. But on my father's side, I'm from glory. Hey boy, what'd you say you was going to do? On my mama's I'm going to die on the cross but bless your heart three days later on my father's side I'm going to rise again from the dead oh yeah let me tell you something friend that little baby born in that manger that night was God Almighty himself we see in that word God we see divinity oh yeah Jesus is God think about that he is God in a bod he is God with skin on There in that manger, the mystery of it all was that God wrapped humanity. God wrapped deity in humanity. And God did not discard the deity nor damage the humanity. Ah, oh, what a God, what a miracle the manger was. Oh, we see in that first word, we see divinity, God. Can I have an amen? Notice that second word in verse 23, the word with. God with. Now, if the word God I see in that word divinity, the word with I see in that word majesty. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, I see in that word that God just didn't come into this world in the body of a person just for the sake of being able to say, I took upon myself a body. You see, there was a purpose. There was a reason for his coming into the world. There was a method to the madness. There was a purpose behind the coming of Jesus into this world. You say, preacher, what was it? Well, God looked down upon the whole of humanity that he had created and that he loved and he saw them struggling And he saw them uh, looking and groping for the answers. So Jesus came into this world alone. He came into this world with the ability to provide an answer for humanity's three greatest needs. Now, if I were to ask you today, what are the three greatest needs of humanity? What would you say? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask some people, they say, oh man, the problem, the problem with humanity is hunger and we need to feed humanity. Maybe that's what, uh, uh, that's what the philanthropists would say or, or maybe somebody else would say, well, the problem of humanity is his ignorance and we need to provide an education. There are all kinds of answers, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm not a philanthropist. I'm not a philosopher. I'm a preacher. And I'm going to tell you what the three greatest problems of humanity really are. The first problem is that of humanity's sinfulness. The second problem is that of humanity's emptiness. And the third problem is that of humanity's loneliness. And ladies and gentlemen, that night when Jesus was born into that manger, lay the answer for all three of humanity's greatest problem. For your sinfulness, bless your heart, the answer is Jesus. Hey, for your loneliness, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is Jesus. For your emptiness this morning, I'm here to tell you, the answer is Jesus he always has been and he always will be the answer think about that sinfulness you may tell you how that Jesus was the answer for our sinfulness There we were condemned before God, a holy and a righteous and a perfect God. And there we are as humanity born in sin and shapen in iniquity. There we are when God conducted the worldwide search of humanity and hear of his findings. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No, not one. I'm telling you, we are all sinners. The, I'm telling you from the least of us to the best of us we're all sinners. We needed an answer. There insert the Lord Jesus because the Bible said that Jesus on the cross of Calvary he died for us. He died. Romans eight thirty two. The Bible said, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall God not with him also freely give us all things? Can I tell you what Jesus did on the cross? Jesus died for us. And it takes care of the problem of our sinfulness. What about, what about our problem not only of sinfulness? What about our problem of emptiness? You see, ladies and gentlemen, because of our sin, we we got like a void or a vacuum on the inside. I heard somebody describe it one time. I said it like this. The problem with humanity is there is a hole in their heart. Now, here's the sad thing about it is when people get to realize there's a vacuum, there's a void in their life, there's a hole in their heart, they begin to try to reach out into the things of the world to find something to fill the hole, something to fill the void. And that's the reason so many reach for the dirty bottle of alcohol or they reach for a dirty syringe or some type of a, a pill or some type of crack or cocaine or many reach for some type of immoral relationship or pornography or or a number of other things you can add to that list. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. None of that can provide, none of that can fill the void or fill the vacuum that's on the inside of humanity. Only Jesus Christ can fit inside the void and the vacuum of man's heart and make that man feel sufficient on the inside. That's the reason over in 1 John chapter number 4, we read words like this. No man has seen God at any time, if any man, if if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Jesus died for us, God dwelleth in us. That takes care of the problem of our emptiness. And then our text says that God is with us, which takes care of the problem of our loneliness. There you have the three great statements about God and us in our New Testament. Jesus died for us. God for us. The Bible said God dwelleth in us. The Bible said that God is with us. And I want to tell you if you sit here today and you say I preacher I've tried everything I've tried this or that I can't find anything that will give me true inward satisfaction. Why not come to the babe of Bethlehem? Why not come to the one who died for you on Calvary and receive him as your savior and you can be saved today. And God will Will live inside of you. Yeah. Think about that. The three great statements made about God and us in our Bible. So there we have the word God, that's divinity. The word with that's majesty. But then notice that last word: God with us, that's humanity. God is with, uh, can I tell you something, that little word us encompasses all 8 billion people that are alive on this earth today. Can I tell you something, really, if if you, if, here, here's a billboard sign they could put up that would have some truth to it. If you rode down Highway 52 and there was a big billboard sign that said something like this, God loves you and you and you and you and you. And you could put 8 billion news on that sign. How true would that be? Because ladies and gentlemen, God loves every one of us. Every one of us. I remember just a child growing up and maybe you'd get some little old girl that you were sweet on if you were a boy or maybe vice versa if you were a girl. But you remember picking up them little lily dailies, uh, uh, daisies out of, the, out of the, uh, the ground, and you'd take those petals, and it goes something like this She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me. You know, I'd never lost one of those. Never did. Now, I had to rig it several times. Sometimes I'd have to skip over one of those, but I'd fix it every time to turn out like I wanted it to. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the love of God, you don't have to rig it. Can I have an amen? When it comes to God and loving on you, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you've been with, I don't care what you've said, I'm here to tell you there's a God in heaven that loves us. The whole of humanity, all the races, all the creeds, All the nations of the people are included in that little word, us. In spite of what the choir says, Joe Biden's included in that word, us. Can I have an amen? No matter who you are, you are included in that word, us. And God never intends for us to be alone. He loves us so much that he does not intend for us to be alone here. And He does not intend for us to be alone in the hereafter. Can I have it? amen? Let let, let me say it like this. You see, because of Christmas, listen now. Because of Christmas, you don't have to face life alone. Because of Christmas, you don't have to face death alone. And because of Christmas, you don't have to face eternity alone. Thank God He is alone with us one of the things that haunts me to this day is when my mother died my uh, my mother was in the rest home up here at King. she had congestive heart failure and she was struggling um, badly with her memory and I went to see her that day and talked to her a little bit and she never I don't she never forgot who I was she would call my name uh, sometimes I don't know if she remembered maybe all the grandchildren or whatever but uh, I never forgot, she never forgot who I was and I told her that night, I said, well mom I gotta go and I said I will, uh, I'll be back, I'll be back in a day or two to check on you again and they had her down one of those halls she was in a room by herself and that night I went home and I don't know why I was so dog tired, I left my phone laying in the kitchen on the on the countertop and uh, when I woke up the next morning I had about three or four missed calls from the uh, from the rest home it was uh Universal up here in King. Three or four missed calls. There was a text message to Text us, call us ASAP. soon And I called and they said, I hate to tell you this, but your mama passed away last night. And the thing that haunts me about that is my, my dear mama died by herself. Boy, if I could have been there. Bless her heart. She was there that day, December the 19th, 1962. Write that down. It's coming up. If you want to get me a birthday present. She was there when I breathed my first breath of life into this world. And I would have done anything to have been there when she breathed her last breath of life. It haunts me to this day. But can I tell you something? She didn't die alone. You know why? Because the Savior was there with us. You don't have to face life alone. You don't have to face death alone. And you don't have to face... Eternity alone Because of that baby That was born In Bethlehem Can I say this And I'm almost done But don't miss what I'm about to say Because this is so true If you don't receive that little baby Who was born in that manger Who later on grew up And became a man And one day died on Calvary For our sins If you don't receive him As your personal Savior you will not only face here alone, but you're going to face the hereafter alone as well. You know, let me read to you, to me, what is one of the scariest verses in all of our Bible. It's 11.03. I'm about done. Look at this verse right here. The Bible said, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Now, I'm going to stop before I read the rest of that. Everlasting destruction. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's what hell is. Hell is everlasting destruction. It is dying, but never dying. It is suffering, but never complete the suffering. Hell is a place where people, where souls are everlastingly destroyed. In other words, what I'm trying to say is there's no hope. Of a better day. Hey, hey, listen, there'll be a never there'll never be another sunrise uh, from the darkness of night. There they'll never they will never be another kiss from a loved one. Hell is a place of everlasting destruction. You say, preacher, are you one of those hellfire and damnation? Listen, I'm a Bible preacher, and if I'm a Bible preacher, I believe hell is a place of everlasting destruction. Can't change on that. But here's what's the worst thing about hell. Let me finish reading the verse. Going to be punished with everlasting destruction. Notice now, from the presence of the Lord. You know what that tells me? Hell is a place where God is absent. Yeah, I've had people tell me before, I wish wish God would just leave me alone. I've even heard people say before, you know, I wish that preacher would just leave me alone. I've heard people say this before, I wish them Christians would quit bothering me. I wish they'd just leave me alone. I wish mama and daddy would just leave me alone. I've heard people say this before, whatever that is that's in my heart, I wish it would just leave me alone. Look at me, can I tell you something? Inhale, it will. It will, God will leave you alone. Yeah, mom and daddy will leave you alone. Preacher, he'll leave you alone. Uh, your family, those Christians, they'll leave you alone because hell is the absence of God. It, it's bad enough, the everlasting destruction. It's horrible. I'm telling you, nobody's ever come up with a, the concept of how awful that hell is. But the worst thing about hell is it's from the presence of God there'll never be another visit by the Holy Ghost by your heart. There'll never be another knock. There'll never be another verse of just as I am or softly and tenderly. There'll never be ver- another verse of somebody inviting you to come to Jesus because in hell, that's a place where God will leave you alone. It will. He will. But let me tell you this. If hell is the absence of God, then heaven Is the presence of God. Because we read this. Revelation 21. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying. Behold the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. Watch this now. God himself shall be with them. And be their God. Oh can I tell you something friend. I'm headed to a place. Where I'll never be alone. God will always. And forever. Be with us. So that little baby grows up. 33 years after the manger, as a grown man, the God-man, he walks up Calvary's hill carrying a Roman cross. He lays down on that cross, not violently, not kicking and screaming, not spitting upon those who were trying to nail him, but he voluntarily... Maybe that's why that old centurion changed his mind and said "True." I mean, he'd seen them kicking and screaming and cussing. And when they laid them down, they were biting at him and trying to do. But not Jesus. He, he went like a lamb before shears Is dumb. He laid down on that old rugged cross. And they nailed him to that cross and raised him up. And then he died. But right before he died, one of the things he said is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the point that hits my mind is this. Jesus died alone so that you and I don't have to die alone. (laughs) I like that old song. There's a river somewhere that's called Jordan. And it goes something like this. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died for my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, He'll be waiting for me. I won't have. To cross Jordan alone, I remember when I was a—I I used to be a country preacher. I'm a city preacher now. I know y'all can tell that, but my first church was a country church way down in the middle of nowhere, and uh, we baptized in a cow pond. That's how we bad. We didn't have a nice baptistry. Felt like a bathtub. Uh, it was a cow pond, and, and we'd have to run all the cows out so we could get in there and baptize. In the summertime, the cows is in there are trying to cool off. And ordinarily, when we'd walk down into that pond, that first step in, you'd go up to about your knees. You know, it's awful soft right around the edge. And then you... And you pull your foot, and you get out there, it's a little bit firmer. And then somebody up on the bank would say, Snake! And we'd all have to get back out of the pond again and go back up there and make sure it was the, snake, the snakes was clear. And we baptized in an old pond and I can remember baptizing especially ladies that old dark, murky water. And man, they were standing there on that bank and they'd look at that water and man, I could see that they were fearful and they, they didn't like that. So here's what I got where I'd do. I'd walk over to the edge of the pond. I'd take them by the hand and I'd lead them down into them dark, murky waters. And I'd baptize him in Frank Rogers Cow Pond on Old 109 in Silver Valley, North Carolina. Just a country preacher. If I got to thinking about that one of these days when it comes time for me to die, Jesus will walk over to the banks of the land of the death and he'll take me down into the dark, murky waters of death and across those waters to the land of the living on the other side. And thank God I won't have to die alone. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because of Christmas. I don't have to live alone. I don't have to die alone. And I won't have to face eternity alone. Because Jesus died so that I could be saved. Amen and amen. Will you not agree with me? You don't have to be home or anywhere else alone. Because Jesus, God, is with us. Let's pray. Father.